for the rest of our travel season. She gets to sing that everywhere we go because this is the first time she's done that, and now that I've heard it, yay, Emma, it's going to be great. Hey, at this time, we're going to dismiss the children and teens, so if you're ages four through uh, fifth grade, you're going to head to Children's Club with our team members, and if you are sixth through twelfth grade, you're going to head back and have youth group teen ministry with our team members, and uh, so you are dismissed at this time. And parents and grandparents, one of the greatest uh, things that we are able to do as a ministry is bring in 18 and 19-year-olds who love Jesus. And I tell you, uh, God uses them to have a profound impact on your young people. So this is a revival for the whole family. But thank you for bringing your children, your grandchildren, your teens. I promise you it will be a life-changing week for them. And we're so excited about what God wants to do in this upcoming generation. As they're making their way out, I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 this morning. I got up this morning and as an evangelist, I pastored for about 25 years and for the past year and a half I've been traveling as an evangelist and uh, one thing I found about the evangelist life is, is you have to preach a lot of the same sermons over and over again because you're preaching so many times on a given week. But every once in a while throughout the week, the Lord will bless with a new sermon. And this morning was one of those mornings. I just had a good night's rest after a day of traveling to Georgia. It must be because we're in Georgia. I had a good night's rest, and I got up this morning, and God just laid a new one on my heart this morning uh, from His Word, and it has blessed me this morning, and I pray it will be a great blessing to you. This morning, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Cleaning House. Cleaning House. Now, I grew up in North Carolina, and uh, my mom is a Southern Belle kind of a, a lady, uh, you took your shoes off at the front door, and if you dared step in front of the fr- in the front door with shoes on, I mean, you cr- you committed the cardinal sin. And uh, so my mom is a clean freak kind of person. She made sure everything was clean, and we had to be clean, and she wanted everything all nice and and ready. And and maybe you're the same way. But what I found is in life, we all have a different degree of cleanliness, uh, both with physical things and sometimes with spiritual things. I remember years ago, I was preaching a sermon at a church I was pastoring in Luray, Virginia. And after I got done preaching, I was standing at the back door like a lot of pastors do. And I was shaking hands with people and meeting people and greeting people. And this lady came by me and she had tears rolling down her face. I didn't know her. And I looked at her and I said, are you new to our church today? And she goes, well, no, actually I came last Sunday. She told me her name. And then she looked at me and she said, can I tell you something? I said, sure. She said, today as you were preaching about Jesus Christ, She said, he set me free. I said, really? You don't get that every Sunday at the door. Sometimes pastors get complaints, grievances, praises, different things. You don't always get that at the back door. I said, really? What did he set you free of? She said, you won't believe this, but she said, for 30 years, I have been a professional hoarder. I said, really? What does that mean? She said, if you were to come to my house today and step into my front door, she said, there's simply just a path to all the rooms because of all the things that have accumulated from the floor to the ceiling. And she goes, it has taken over my house. And she said, my husband told me recently that if I would not be willing to get rid of the stuff and to clean up my house, he was going to leave me. He said he could not live this way anymore. And she said, it's been going on for 30 years. Then she looked at me and she goes, today I'm free. Now, I'd never met the lady before. I didn't even know if she was a Christian. She goes, I'm free. And as the tears continued to flow down her face, she said, you know what I'm going to do, preacher? I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going home and we're getting it all cleaned up. Did. And I thought to myself, that's the best hoarding sermon I have ever preached in my entire life. And here's the funny thing about that. I've never preached a sermon on hoarding. But you know what God showed me that day? When you preach God's Word and you preach Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God knows how to take the Word of God, make us like the Son of God, and prick the hearts of the people of God exactly where we need to be pricked. She went home and she cleaned house. And I've got a real burden on my heart in these days. I don't think I need to tell you, but we are living in a very impure world. It's been going on since Genesis 3. And by the way, I know there were some temporary good old days here in America where we tended to elevate morality. But I want to tell you, if you look through human history, there haven't been many good old days. 
We've been living in a sin-cursed world since Genesis 3. In fact, the world became so wicked and man's thoughts were on evil continually that God sent a great flood upon this world. Destroyed every living thing except for Noah and his family. And God is letting us know that He created us for Himself. He created us to walk with Him, to know Him, to be filled with Him, to be clean. Enjoy Him as we glorify Him forever. I was thinking this morning in this thought of cleaning up house, our team was sharing over here last night in the fellowship hall, and one of the team members said, Pastor Mark, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this, that the day I got saved and repented of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that my body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. And one of the team members looked at me last night and said, Team, can I just remind you all of something? God lives in us. Now this is profound. And it's not just profound to an outside world. It was profound to new Jewish New Testament believers. The Jewish people could not imagine that God would come and make His holy of holies in people. But that is the new covenant. That's a New Testament believer. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what it means to be a part of His church. That the moment you trust Jesus, not only are you saved from your past, present, and future sin, but God Himself comes and makes His home in you. And here's my question for you this morning. If you, are, if you know Jesus, God has made His home in you, but is He at home in you? You know what I found? There's times at my house, it's my home, but we're not all at home. Uh, when you and your spouse are arguing, all of a sudden, you may not feel at home. When there's trouble at home, though it may be your house, you may not feel at home in your house. The Apostle Paul prayed this, for the church of Ephesus. He says, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking to believers. You're like, wait a second, if I'm a believer, Christ already lives in me by the person of the Holy Spirit. What does he mean that I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith? What he's saying is this, that the Christ who now lives in you by the person of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be so clean and so yielded to him that he would be at home in you. That every closet and crevice of your heart would be free space for the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, I want to talk to you about cleaning house. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we run across an incredible passage where Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, cleaned up the house of God. And basically, I won't bore you with a bunch of historical details, but I'll just get right to the point. After David died, 40 kings of Israel and Judah came onto the scene over time. And only six did what was right in the sight of God all their days. Six out of 40 kings only did what was right in the sight of God. Hezekiah is one of these people. And the interesting thing about Hezekiah is his dad was a very evil king. But Hezekiah, at the age of 25, took the throne. And I want to suggest something to you. He was a chain breaker. You see, some of you sitting here and your parents didn't know Jesus. Your parents didn't follow hard after Jesus. Maybe you had a very rough upbringing. Maybe you had a very abusive home. Maybe you had a very evil home. But you're sitting here today by the grace of God. And by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ as you walk with Him, you're a chain breaker. You don't have to live in your past. You don't have to live the same way that you grew up. Jesus Christ died and rose again to make all things new. Our identity is not in how we were brought up. Our identity is not in what we did last year. If you're in Christ, your identity is in the Lord Jesus. Hezekiah was a chain breaker. And he comes onto the scene, and though his dad was a very wicked man, Hezekiah did what was right in the, in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible says he was more zealous than all of his predecessors to restore God's People. And he began to restore God's people by cleaning up the temple. Now this is incredible what God's people, who served the one true God, did to the house of God. Look with me, chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 25, 20 years old. He was 25. And he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abba, Abaha, the daughter of Zechariah. And by the way, she was a godly woman. She probably influenced his life in a great way, even though her husband was very wicked. 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the very first month, you know how presidents come on the scene and within a few days they're issuing executive orders left and right? Here was Hezekiah's executive order. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You say, what does that mean? It means his dad, a king over God's people, had so led the people into idolatry that he literally shut the doors of the temple and nailed them shut to where people could not go into the temple and worship. Hezekiah came onto the scene and opened the temple. In fact, if you read more about Hezekiah, he boldly cleaned the house of God. Pagan altars, idols, and temples were destroyed. He also took the bronze serpent that Moses had made in the desert and destroyed it because the people had made it an idol. Can I say something real quick? God's people, especially in America, where we've been blessed with so much, we are taking things that God never intended for us to make idols and make idols out of them. I know I forget one time I was pastoring at a church and, and, and it was actually a, a revival that went on for two or three years. People were getting saved left and right. I've never seen anything like it since. It was incredible. The church was packed out. And I never forget, our church sat about 400 people, and we were filling up every chair, overflow room. People were coming in left and right. People were getting saved. It was an exciting time. But I never forget, on a Monday morning, I had a visitor call me and say, I'm never coming back to your church. And I say, why is that? They said, we came into your church on Sunday morning because someone invited us to, to hear about Jesus and to hear what God was doing at your church. And we came in, and we sat down in the back row. And then this couple came in that you could tell went to your church and they just stood there and looked at us and it got really awkward. And they said, so we looked up at them and we didn't really know what to say. And they just, they just looked at us. Finally, it dawned on us, we had taken their pew. And so they said, I looked up at the person and said, did we take your chair? And they said, "Uh uh-huh. And then they did this and made them get up. Now I was ready to turn over tables in the temple. That's how mad I was. Let me tell you what just happened to a Bible-believing, fundamental, believe-all-the-doctrine-right, gospel-preaching, sat in church for decades, supposedly been saved longer than I've been alive. A Christian who had been given so much just walked in and told a bunch bunch of possibly lost people, get out of my chair. That's been going on for a while. God's people had taken the brazen serpent that Moses had made and started worshiping it. That was never the point of the serpent. The serpent pointed to Jesus Christ. The the serpent that Moses made was pointing to the fact, look and live. There's a Messiah coming, a Redeemer coming. And all of a sudden in America, we've made all sorts of things that though we thought they were holy, we've made them into idols. The traditions of men. The Bible says here, the temple in Jerusalem, whose doors had been nailed shut by Hezekiah's own father, Hezekiah opened those doors, he cleaned out the temple, he reopened it for worship. He restored the Levitical priesthood. He turned the Passover back into a national holiday. And when Hezekiah got finished, revival came to the people of God. Now in America, we're long past due for a revival. And I want to explain something real quick, this is my opinion. Spiritual awakening is for the lost. Revival's for the Christian. The reason revival is for the Christian is the word revival means to live again. A lost person has never been made alive in the first place. So they need to be awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a Christian who's been made alive in Christ by grace through faith, when we begin to backslide, we need to be revived. And only when the believers are revived do they share the gospel that awakens the lost to their need for a Savior. Revival came to God's people, but it came when they got their lives in order, their lives in order, and cleaned up the house of God. Now you say, wait a second, do we need to clean this church? No, that's not where the house is. You're the house. Your body is the temple of the holy. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Are you revival ready? Are you living in revival? Does your house need some cleaning? Revival came, but house cleaning was needed first. Here's four simple things I'm going to share with you quickly. 
Four signs that you may need a house cleaning of the heart. Four signs that you may need a house cleaning of the heart. Look with me in verse 3. The Bible says, He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites, the religious leaders. He gathered them together in the East Street. I want to stop right there for a moment. He opened the doors for worship. Point number one. The first sign that you may need a house cleaning is, are there areas of your life where you've closed the doors of worship? Say that one more time. Are there areas of your life where you have closed the doors? Say, Mark, what do you mean by that? I want to talk about it corporately for a moment, and I want to talk about it individually. We've been traveling all over the country for the past year and a half. I've probably been in 70 or 80 churches at this point. I've been in churches in New York, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia, now, praise God, Georgia. All up and down this country. In a given year, this team will minister the gospel to twelve to 15,000 people. We've been all over the country. And every pastor has said the same thing in every church that I've been in. They said this, we haven't gotten back a third of our people. Now, I realize some people are sick. I realize there's some people that can't due to physical reasons. I'm not getting on that, and my goal here today is not to start controversy. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of people that aren't sick that just use this as an Shut the door. Gone. And COVID was a convenient day. Though I profess to be a Christian, though we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, though the people of God is the most important organization on planet earth because it's the people of God by which God works out His redemptive plan. By the way, the day you got saved, why didn't God take you home to heaven that day? Because He wants to use you for His glory to bring a world to Himself. Praise God, this is a missions-focused church. Your pastor, I was asking last night about your church, and he was just talking about how focused you are on missions. Praise God for that. That's why we're here. But a third of God's people who profess His name have just disappeared. They're not using their spiritual gift. They're not building up the body. They're not stirring one another to good works. They're just gone. Close the doors of corporate worship. How about this one? By the way, if it happens today, I'm so sorry. Because if I offend you, I leave on Saturday and, and you don't have to get mad at pastor about it. You can say, just don't ever have that guy back again. You know, evangelists, they blow in, blow up, and blow out. I don't want to do that, but, you know, we can get by with some things that preacher can't, all right? Uh, the other week, I, we were at, not, for real, literally just a few weeks ago, we were at a church and the pastor told me before I got to preach, he said, now listen, at 12 noon, there'll be at least two people that stand straight up, I mean, on the dot, and walk out. I said, do they have to be somewhere? He said, nope. I said, why do they do that? He goes, I've never figured it out. And I've seen that happen in other churches. And sure enough, I was sitting here preaching, man. I was going at it. Team had been singing. God was working. At 12 noon, two people stood straight up, walked right out the back doors. You know what they were saying? God, you work on our timetable. We're done. Someone once said this. One of the signs that revival has come to your church corporately is that you crucify the clock. Now, I'm not going to preach for two hours. I'm going to be done in a few minutes. But I will tell you, when revivals break out, the clock is crucified. In the country of Wales, one of the greatest Welsh revivals, and then followed up by the Duncan Campbell revival that we see, the church would meet from 7 o'clock at night until 4 a.m. in the morning. And by the way, there's one going on right now. I just got word this morning over at Asbury College, back where the Asbury revival broke out 100 years ago, something happened this past Wednesday at Asbury College during chapel, and the students started confessing sin, praying and praising God, and they haven't left the chapel yet, and that was on Wednesday. They have been praying, singing, and confessing. There's pictures of it. You can Google it. Don't Google it now, please. But this, this afternoon, you can Google it. They are lined up around the altar. They've been there for 100 hours. Oh, man, how did it? Man, there's stuff to do. There's a schedule to keep. 
We're busy. We got to get to this ball game and we got to do this and we got to do this. And all of a sudden, when God gets a hold of people, He sets the agenda, He sets the time, He's in control of the clock. One of the signs that maybe we need to clean up the corporate house of God is we need to quit setting so much of the agenda with God's house. Uh, revival meetings have fallen on hard times. I'll be quite honest with you. What we're doing is falling on hard times. It's hard to get churches to say, hey, we want to have revival meetings this week. Almost every church we've been at looked at me and said, hey, we scheduled revival meetings for a few days, and then we got to the end of it, and man, people wanted to continue. But you know what's so hard? Pastors, and I'm not, I'm not speaking about your church, I'm just saying pastors are scared to death. Man, if we have a few days of revival meetings, is anybody going to come? Last week, we were at a church, and the pastor told me, he said, man, I'm scared to death for y'all got here. I said, what? About what? He goes, I just don't know if anybody's going to come. He said, we can't get anybody to come to anything past Sunday morning. You know what happened? The attendance grew every night last week. The church was packed out on our last night. But there's some pastors that aren't even willing to try. Why? Because we're closing the doors of worship. I also want to throw this by you. I was convicted years ago that out on every church sign, it says worship at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever time. But we can say on our church sign that we worship every Sunday, but true worship doesn't happen until we're yielded. Can I just run that by you real quick? I know that on every Baptist church sign, it says you worship on Sundays at 11 and whatever times. But even when we show up to worship, haven't worshipped, leave here, rendering. That's true worship. Laying yourself on the altar. But can I say this real quick? Individually, is your Christian life bigger than Sunday? Sadly, I run across so many Christians, they come and they worship for an hour on Sunday, but that's it. They don't realize that the moment they were saved, the Holy Spirit come to live in them, not for just an hour on Sunday. The Holy Spirit of God came to live in them full time. And the Holy Spirit is always focused on God. The Holy Spirit is always shining the light on Jesus Christ. He's always creating in us an atmosphere and a focus and an attitude of worship. But only as we're filled with Him, controlled by Him, and yielded to Him, will we do the same. If your Christian life is nothing more than an hour on Sunday, I'm not sure you're ever going to find that in the Bible. New Testament Christianity is a moment by moment, I am dead to self, alive to Christ, and I walk by faith in the Son of God moment by moment, whether it's 3 o'clock on Monday, 5 o'clock on Wednesday, or 11 o'clock on Sunday, I am a worshiper. Setting apart Christ as Lord in my life, moment by moment. You remember old Martha? She looked at Mary and said, Mary, get in here and help me. Quit sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know what Martha was saying? God, I want to do good things for you, but I don't want to worship you while I do those things. Here's the first sign that you'll burn out as a Christian. When you start closing the doors of private worship in your heart, you'll come to church or you'll get with God's people and you'll do good things for God, but because you're not worshiping while you do them, you'll burn out. You'll make it about you. You'll set the agenda. By the way, Martha told Jesus what to do. Does anybody think that's a bad idea? Because she was setting her own agenda in the name of doing something good for God and she quit walking with God, she looked at the Son of God and she said, you tell my sister to get in here and help me because what she's doing with you is a waste of time. There's something more important. It's what we got to do. We're not concerned about who we're becoming. Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, Martha. By the way, when Jesus uses your name twice, you're in big trouble. Martha, Martha. You're troubled and worked up about a lot of stuff. In other words, I really appreciate the meal. I've called you to serve, but you've got it backwards. You're trying to work for me without being intimate with me. And Mary has chosen that part which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha was doing a good thing. She was singing in the choir. She was taking up the offering. She was going door to door. She was getting ready for Bible school, but she had stopped worshiping. He had closed up the doors of worship. I challenged the team with this the other night. They don't watch a lot of TV. They work about 80 or 90 hours a week. But every once in a while, they'll get a break and they'll watch something. And I reminded them last night. I said, tonight, some of you get a break tonight. 
You're allowed to go back home and watch a clean movie to the glory of God. But let me say this. Stop worshiping when you watch that movie. You will go backward. Because you know what we've done? We've compartmentalized everything. Oh, Lord, I'm taking a break right now. Right now, I'm watching the Hallmark Channel. And God says, well, that's fine that you do that to my glory. And I hope you are doing that for my glory. But you didn't just get to call a time out on worship. You are called to worship in all that you do. And you have it written over here in your fellowship hall. I saw it last night as I was eating Chick-fil-A. And to those of you who made sure the Chick-fil-A happened, God bless you. But over on a mirror in your fellowship hall, it says, and whatsoever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. In other other words, eat while you're eating Chick-fil-A, go on worship. Hey, corporately and individually, the Christian's life should never close up shop when it comes to worship. Hezekiah opened the doors back up. Are there areas of your life where you've closed the doors of worship. Number two, the second sign you may need a house cleaning is that you can't remember the last time you grieved over and confessed sin. You can't remember the last time you grieved over and confessed sin. You say, Mark, where do you see that? Look with me in verse 5. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites. They're kind of like the associate pastors. He says, Sanctify, make holy now yourselves and make holy or sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Hezekiah's dad had come along, and he had shut the doors of the temple, but before he ever nailed the door shut, they had ransacked the temple. They had messed stuff up, they had sold stuff off, they had broken stuff. What used to be a beautiful temple, Solomon's temple, representing the glory of God, was now filthy. By the way, even in the South, I mean, like, think about that. Filthy's a bad word. I mean, if you say something dirty, that's one thing. But if you say filthy in a Southern way, it's really bad. That's filthy. That's what happened to God's house. And Hezekiah said, I want all of y'all to get together, get yourselves straightened out, get yourselves clean, and let's clean up God's house. And by the way, it took 16 days. 16 days of a bunch of people working together to clean up the house of God. You know what's so startling for me? I've been a Christian now for 38, 39 years. But what is so convicting to me is that there are times that I will catch myself going a week or two, and it dawned on me, I haven't confessed sin in a while. And there's only two possibilities when that happens. Either you haven't sinned in two weeks, I'm not sure about that one, or you're just doing your own thing, quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit, grown cold and callous, so focused on self and your agenda. You haven't stopped to get quiet for the Lord and said, search me, O God, try my heart and see if there be any filthiness. You know what I'm noticing in America? Not only do we not prize prayer anymore, not only do we not prize evangelism anymore, those are the two hardest things in the church to get believers to do. We're just not interested in prayer meetings and we're not interested in telling people about Jesus. But I'll tell you something else we're not interested in doing, and that is confessing our sin. When was the last time you sat down quiet before God, turned off the blasted television, said, God, I'm going to lay in the living room floor. And I'm not getting up until I've let you search my And that I've agreed with you and grieved over anything in my life that's not right with you, that is hurting our intimacy. I know we'll forget several years ago, my son, he was in middle school. I was pastoring a church in Virginia at the time. And we were having a men's conference, and about 800 men came together for this three-day conference just to hear preaching and to pray, and it was an exciting time. Men came from all over, different churches. Well, on Friday night, it was the night that you were to bring your teenagers, and my son was in middle school. After the message that night, the men went off and broke up into prayer groups of 30 or 40 men, and then the teenagers went over to the youth house, and they had their own prayer meeting. 
Well, this was about 9 o'clock at night, and at about 11 o'clock, the men stopped praying. And I thought, man, sure, it's 11 o'clock. we got to be back here tomorrow morning. I said, look, i got to go over and get my son. We need to get home and get to bed. Well, I thought, well, we've been praying for a couple hours. There's no way that my middle school son and his friends have been praying for this long. I'm sure they are very much ready to go home. So I drove across the parking lot, walked into the youth house, and I'll never forget what I saw. I walked in there, and there's all these seventh and eighth grade boys that had gotten so broken and convicted over the sermon they'd heard that night. They're laying in the floor, crying out to God, confessing their sin, confessing the sins of their family, and confessing the sins of our church out loud, crying. Now, how many of you have a middle schooler? Yeah. You know what you do with middle schoolers? You put them in a box, you cut a hole out of it, and you feed them until they get in high school, but you don't let them out of the box. Anybody ever dealt with a middle schooler? It's amazing. I love middle schoolers. I've never seen middle schoolers lay prostrate on the floor, weeping out loud. And I stood there, and I listened to it for 44 minutes. And all of a sudden, the dads that followed me over, they come walking into the youth house. They were talking and all this stuff. They had, it never even dawned on them that their boys were in here praying. And I was looking at them going, shh, shh, shh. I'm like, what, Pastor Mark? I'm like, listen. And all of a sudden, the dad started listening. And the dad goes, what's going on? I said, they're getting right with God. After it was over, my son looked at me. He's crying. We got in the car. I said, son, are you okay? His name is Garrett. I said, Garrett, are you okay? He said, dad. I haven't been this good in a long time. And he said, Dad, I want you to know something. He said, tonight we got all the filthiness out of our lives. We got the junk out of our lives. And he said, Dad, after we got right with God, we started praying for some big stuff. And he said, God, he said Dad, God's going to do it. You know what I found? I had a pastor tell me recently, he said, Pastor, after our week of arrival meetings with Encounter, he said, uh, we're going to start back our prayer meetings, but we're no longer just going to pray about physical things. We're going to start praying about the spiritual. You know what happened when those boys got things right with God? They started praying for God to do big stuff. Why? They were clean. They were expectant. The next morning at home, you ever seen a, you ever seen a middle schooler get out of bed? It's an incredible thing. I mean, they don't wake up for like five hours after they get up. But man, he jumped out of bed that morning. He came down to the kitchen. He was getting his cereal. And I'm just kind of watching him. I'm like, Garrett, you okay? And I never forget, this eighth grade boy looked at me and said, Dad, I'm clean. I said, well, praise God. You know what happened? That week, we saw God work in three or four really impossible situations that those guys had prayed for. Let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you stopped and confessed every sin in your life and allowed God to show you that sin by His Spirit and His Word. Here's the third thing. I'm going to share with you two last things and we're going to close. Number three, the third sign that you may need a house cleaning is that your praise has grown cold. Your praise has grown cold. Look with me in verse 25. After they cleaned up the house of God, they got out all the filthiness. He set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offerings upon the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord, I love that, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, the king of Israel. And all the congregation worshiped. And the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. I want you to notice something down in verse 30. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David, talking about the Psalms, and of Asaph the seer, and they sang praises. And notice a key word there that we don't see sometimes even in Baptist churches. They sang praises with gladness. And they bowed their heads in worship. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm not here to pick on Baptist. I was a Baptist before I was born again. All right? But I've been in a bunch of Baptist churches. 
There's some that seem to be happy about Jesus, and there's some that I want to stand up and go, He's alive. You know, we're in churches all the time. These young people that love Jesus get up and sing, and then I get up after they sing, and I look out at the congregation, and I mean, it looks like we are at a funeral. And I want to scream out and say, The grave is empty! Goodness! What are y'all so sad about? They sang with gladness. You know what? Singing is commanded by, the God, by God hundreds of times. We are commanded by God in the Psalms and all throughout the Word. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In everything give thanks. Rejoice always. Come into His presence with singing and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him. Bless His name. We not only have something to sing about as Christians, we have the only thing to sing about. He is risen. He has changed our life. He has been so good to us. He has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He didn't just forgive me of all my sin. He adopted me as His child. And now I can sit at His table forever. He has given me new life. He has given me freedom. He has forgiven me. He's given me a new mind, a new heart. He's given me His Word. He's given me His Spirit. He's given me the family of God. And I can just keep on going. I got something to sing about. When revival came to the people of God, their praise burst forth because praise is the consummation of the joy. You can't hold joy in. It's got to come out. And Jesus said in John 15, these things I've told you so that your joy may be full. I'm so sorry I'm scaring people's children. I am so sorry. You know what praising is? Someone put it this way. It's the verbal prizing of God. Praise is the verbal prizing. Can I ask you a question? I don't care. There's not one verse in the Bible that says don't sing if you don't know how to sing or if you sound bad. You won't find that anywhere. That's called insecurity. If you got breath, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You say, do all these kids up here know how to sing? Nope, some of them never sang a day of their life until they came on this team. It's not about how they sing. It's about who they're filled with and who. Has your praise grown cold? I'll tell you this, one more point, and we'll close. I'm almost done. I just, I just want to throw this. I know nothing about your church. I don't ever ask. So that way, if I say something that hits, a, hits, some, hits something, a pastor can talk to me about it after the service, and I'll make it right. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. It's your birthday party. We'll have birthday parties for the team members when they're on the team, and it's a big day, and we make it all about that person, and we have fun, and we have a time of encouragement, and we get them their favorite cake, and it's just a good time of celebration and celebrating God's grace in that person's life. And I want you to imagine with me for a moment, it's your birthday. And man, they, they bring in the cake, and there's all these candles, and, 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 and they come in, and all of a sudden, somebody in your family goes to sing happy birthday to you, and then somebody interrupts them and says, stop, that's not the way I want to sing it. And then another person says, well, how do you want to sing it? Well, I want to sing this version. Well, I don't like that version. I like this one. Well, no. And then, and then another kid, no, I, well, I like this one. Next thing you know, they argue for 30 minutes about which version of happy birthday they're going to sing to you. Finally, everybody's so mad at each other, they don't sing at all. Say, that's silly. We've just about done that in the church. Jesus, we want to praise you, but we want to do it our way. And Jesus says, I want you to do it my way. And don't forget the whole reason called to pray. Can I run something by you? Your praise grown cold. Because if your praise has grown cold, because it's coming, a heart be cleansed. Here's the final thing. Very final thing. The fourth sign that you need a house cleaning or I may need a house cleaning of the heart this morning is this. You have lost the want to's. You have lost the want to's. Look with me, verse uh, 31. 
Notice what he says here. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. You've come near. You bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And notice this last phrase. And as many as were of a free heart, they brought burnt offerings. That phrase caught me this morning. A free heart. Say, what does that mean? It means that they wanted to. The people got clean, and then everybody started offering up sacrifices for their sin and worshiping. As many as had a free heart. Can I ask you something? Do you have the want to's? You know what I've noticed? Everything changes in a church when the church wants to. Everything changes in my life when I want to. Want to is two-thirds of the battle. I got word this morning about that revival that I was telling you about. And there's hundreds of college-age students right now, as we're having this service, on their hands and knees, confessing, singing to God, and they haven't gotten up in 100 hours. You want to know why? Because they want to. Years ago, my son, I was teaching him how to take out the garbage. And we went over this and went over this and went over this and went over this. And after four weeks, he hadn't done it right yet. Finally, one day, he walked into the house and got it all right. And I looked at him and I said, what happened? He goes, I decided I wanted to. I said, you better go find your mother because she's the only person that can protect you right now from me. But I never forget when he looked at me and said, oh, I did it right that time because it wasn't that I needed more instruction. It wasn't that I needed another sermon. Heart had changed. Signs that we may need a house cleaning this could be that we have lost the one. Everybody came that had a want-to heart. Laid themselves on the altar. They brought the sacrifices. God, we got all the junk. Secret sin, public skin, sin that we've been blind to, the sin we've been making excuses over. We want revived. You're yours. And we want. The past two weeks, seen 31 people trust Jesus. I'll tell you something that happened the past two weeks because I was telling the team members this. The team members, y'all have seen more in weeks than some people's whole lives. Two weeks ago, we were doing revival services at a church there in Winston-Salem, and on Tuesday night at the end of the revival services, here's the way the pastor closed the service. He got up and he said, I'm convicted, we're all convicted. He said, this is the way we're going to close the service. We're going to pray. And we're just going to pray, 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 and you can leave when God tells you you can leave. For the next 45 minutes to an hour after the service, the church prayed all over the sanctuary. The next day, 17 of their Christian schools came forward in the invitation and wept and trusted Jesus. You know what that tells me? God can do more in 24 hours if we let him have his way than in us trying to do it on our own. Last week, same thing happened. We had revival services at the church. Numbers continued to grow, but more important than that, the people's hearts were They had a Christian school. One of the administrators got so convicted last week about prayer that she called all the Christian school teachers and said, we're going to start meeting at 5 a.m. in the morning this week to pray for our students. Those teachers started praying at 5 a.m. every morning last week. And on Friday, over 100 of those students at the altar, weeping with our team members, confessing pornography, confessing secret sin, confessing the sins of the heart, getting things cleaned up. 13 of them called on Jesus to save them. And several of them said, I'm going back, and next week things are going to be different in our school. We're going to start Bible studies and prayer groups. We're tired of being with you. You know what happened? Revival came. You know why? They cleaned house. I don't know anything about your church. It may be the most revived church in the United States. But you know where revival needs to be. It's in the areas. 
bow your head and close. Pastor's going to come forward. Valerie's going to come and play quietly. Here's the last verse. Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. In other words, Hezekiah marveled at how quick all this went down. God was at work. I've left two churches in the past two weeks where they were surprised at how quick God worked and did the impossible as soon as people got clean. And I bet there's a bunch of people at Asbury College this morning that are sitting there going, wow, everybody's complaining about this new generation. Everybody's giving up on this new generation. Well, God's not done with them. They've been praying for a hundred hours. Look, this thing's been done quickly. God wastes no time. To get on board with him individually and corporately. Today, the key to having a fresh wind, fresh fire of God's Holy Spirit working in your life is through confession. Confession's the pathway, pathway to healing. Cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I'm going to let Pastor lead us as he sees fit. By faith, come into your heart and your life for the your sin. Your head bowed, eyes closed, with that clear of a message. This morning, are you saved? Have you placed your faith in Him? You say, preacher, I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure if I'd die right now, I'd go to heaven to be with God, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up this morning and right back down, and I'll pray for you. Nobody's looking around. This is I'm not going to come to where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you by need. I'm not sure about it, preacher. Remember me in your prayers. Those are one. Maybe you're here this morning. You are saved. Trusted Christ as your own personal Savior. When's the last time you cleaned house? Wow, what a, what a convicting message. I know the Holy Spirit's worked on my heart this morning. Maybe there's something you're holding on to, something that you just can't let go of. Let go of it this morning. Let God have it. Cast that care, cast that burden upon the Lord. Step away from that sin. Get it clean. Get it right before the Lord. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed. The piano plays this morning. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, I want revival. We're always concerned about somebody else having revival. Let's say this morning, Lord, I want revival and start with me. I want to see people clean. Start with me. May that be your prayer this morning. If you need to come for whatever reason this morning as the piano plays, you come. time don't don't put it off don't wait
Don't hesitate. The Lord's speaking to your heart. And come do business with him. Do business with him right there at your seat. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off. Put it off. Listen, when we put it off, we forget. When we put it off, we procrastinate. Let's just go ahead and do business with him this morning. If you need to come, there's time this morning you come. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We're so thankful for your word and message our hearts. Pray, help us, not just today, but continuing our house clean our lives. Worship, honoring part of our. Thank you for those that right there that work. See these young. Their desire is obvious. Serve you, honor you. Thankful. Your ministry. Love you. And just before you go, we've got one decision. Jake. Some of you are going to.